0: Welcome to the Infernal Schoolhouse podcast, Explosions and Fire. I'm Brian. And I'm Aaron. And today on the podcast, we're talking about the perfect one-shot story template found in the most unexpected place, Barry Gordy's The Last Dragon.
1: For those of you who haven't seen it, Barry Gordy's The Last Dragon is a masterpiece of 80s cheese and schlock (laughs) that centers around a martial arts movie that takes place uh, in New York uh, and it is a wild, wild ride. Uh, essentially, Barry Gordy, for those who don't know, is the man who uh, came up with Motown, uh, incredible, a uh, musical producer, um, and he decided to want to get his four in his film. This is actually his fourth film, but it's a crazy premise. The idea is that there's a character instead of Bruce Lee, we have Bruce Leroy, so it has a lot of black exploitation flavoring vibes to it, but not quite a black exploitation movie. And he fights against this weird, overwhelming threat that's invading his area of Harlem from the Shogun Shonuf. Shogun, of course, not having anything to do with Kung Fu, which he practices, but neither here nor there. But it goes on. It's crazy. It has amazing actors in it. Uh, It's got Ty Mack, who we tried to get for this uh, podcast, but sadly is busy. Julius Carey, rest in peace, who plays enough, a wonderful actor, really shoes up the screen in every single scene that he's in. Vanity is in the movie. It's just great. Uh, It's got musical pieces. Yeah. But I could go on and on about this movie, but we obviously still need to talk about what we're here to talk about.
0: Yeah, it is a, I agree with you. It's kind of like a wonderful mess. The in terms of the genre it's it's straddling like five or six different genres at times it's just trying to be kind of a goofy little comedy at times it's trying to be a really deep eastern philosophical movie so it's just 80s music video vibes oh yeah they
1: even they even introduced the music video for Debarge's Rhythm of the Night which like premiered in this movie i mean
0: So Aaron, let me ask you, I know we're going to get into the story components, but how did you first come to find this film and love this film as you do?
1: Well, I think as a young kid, this movie came on TV often. It was like one of those you know, Saturday specials while you're home, you know, back before you had a whole lot of cable. So they played probably whatever the more inexpensive movies were that you could find and then put that on broadcast TVs. And and then you could put that on one more, more of the UHF channels. And so this came on a lot. And the more it came on, the more I fell in love with it because it's just so silly and inane and also uh, poignant and weird. And it, it has so much. And on top of that, it has probably one of the best, martial arts showdowns within the last part of the movie that you would not expect to happen in this really crazy movie.
0: Yeah, that was kind of my experience. So recently, Aaron just sort of cornered me and he was like, you're going to watch this movie. And I was like, <laughs> oh, God, I, I really don't want to watch it. And so I'm sitting there for the first 20 minutes and I'm just thinking to myself, this movie is just objectively bad. It's bad acting. It's poorly conceived. It's cringy in a lot of ways that maybe it was intentionally supposed to be. And in a lot of ways where it's clearly not supposed to be. And I'm just not understanding it. And I did have that moment at the end w- that you just mentioned where I was like, wow, this is actually so well-constructed and so well-conceived, this, this ending. And I can see what they were building towards. And Aaron, I think it was then that you made the point to me this is the perfect template for a one shot and it was only at that moment that i was able to receive this information <laughs> and how we had the idea to have this particular topic for the podcast today this is correct yes
1: <laughs> i mean it is it is great that's i think how a lot of one shots work is you have a lot of almost non-connected parts or parts that are kind of there because it, it gives flavoring to the the actual story you're running and it's fun but as you kind of count them up into being more than the sum of their parts it, it turns into a really incredible experience for the players and same thing with the movie I mean, this movie is challenging to watch. Uh, I think that Brian would agree, as he just said, especially the first 30 minutes. There are some stereotypes in there that probably would not survive, you know, the woke wars of the 20s, but it is a really enjoyable movie and it becomes enjoyable by the end because of how it buttons everything up into a cohesive story.
0: Yeah. And yeah, when you were saying the stereotypes, I was thinking of the prequel trilogy of Star Wars, which is like. <laughs> It's like, oh, my (laughs) God. Like, there's that scene where he's wearing a rice patty hat and he's eating popcorn in a movie theater with chopsticks. Oh, yeah. This black man. And you're like, what are you doing right now? (laughs) Uh, Just as a FYI, it doesn't
1: get any better than that from a standpoint of the stereotypes you will see in the movie. So, you know, apologies
0: in advance if you (laughs) do watch it, but I think you will enjoy it. We're not endorsing the racial stereotypes and politics in this film by any means. Not at all. Not at all. (laughs) Okay. So, yeah. And uh, so you just said something that I think is key to my understanding of this and my admiration of this, which is there are so many disparate components at the beginning of the film that don't seem to matter Mm -hmm. and at the end like trying to think of the right analogy rubik's cube i don't know they all kind of just snap into place and you realize the whole thing almost in a in a like a sixth sense kind of a way you're like wait it all connects and it's actually so brilliant and so i think aaron for for me that's the starting point for talking about as DMs, how do we look at this film as an inspiration mm-hmm. for creating a glorious one-shot template that that will really be satisfactory for your players?
1: Yeah. And I, I think that a lot of people in your in your head may be asking yourself, why on earth are you connecting this movie to d And I will tell you, as a forever DM, I try and connect everything to DD and see if it sticks. So I look at, especially, I mean, what we're doing for the most part as uh, game masters, dungeon masters is narrative storytelling. So you want to find those stories where if you peel away the layers, like we're going to do here and take away the specifics of the actual story you've just watched or read or enjoyed, that you can turn that into just a basic skeletal framework of a story.
0: Yeah. And one thing that we've talked about in the past is the idea of the MacGuffin which Mm -hmm. I learned about in film school related to Alfred Hitchcock. And the way he described it was it's the thing that motivates the characters into the story, which is distinct from what the viewers want to see. So normally in a film, the viewers want to see the characters and the locations and, Mm -hmm. you know, the, the, like the ambiance and the feeling and all that. But the characters are usually motivated by something very specific. So can you talk about what the MacGuffin is in this film?
1: Yeah, the MacGuffin in this one is the idea that the main character, Bruce Leroy, is wanting to become this final level of master at his his kung fu school, essentially. And his, his current master tells him to go out on this quest to come and find another master to talk to by the name of some dumb goy. Okay, so <laughs> already he's a pretty dumb character. Anyways, he's very naive. And most of the jokes in this movie is around him being kind of an idiot. But that's the idea is he's going out in order to better himself, essentially. He has this reason to move forward. But along the way, he gets additional MacGuffins stacked on by falling in love with Vanity in the movie. And then she gets kidnapped. And then now his story of becoming a master then clashes also with the MacGuffin of needing to essentially save the heroine and move the story forward.
0: Yeah. And there's definitely a moment in the film which I think feels really familiar to me as a DD player where the story just seems really convoluted and confusing. <laughs> yes. And you start to you start to wonder, like, wait, is this a love story? Is this is he supposed to forget about martial arts? Like at a certain point, I'm like, okay, well, he's just going to marry vanity because she's amazing. So maybe they're just going to like get married and move to Brooklyn and have a family. This will be a happy ending. I mean- yeah, exactly. And so, yeah, it gets really convoluted in the middle, which I'm interested how intentional that was, but just like in a and D game, you start to lose your way. And I think as players, often we get to that point too, where there's almost this fatigue moment where you're like, I don't know where to go or what, I don't know what I'm supposed to do next. And I've even heard players verbalize this like DM. I don't know what you want us to do now. Right. And so you're right.
1: That's great. And I, I find that in my one shots or even just regular campaigns, the best way you can do that is with action and providing a call to action. So for example, he's kind of going through the paces of wanting to become a master and he's going through the paces, like you said, of having this weird, burgeoning romance with vanity that is kind of weird uh, it's said in the story right but then suddenly out of nowhere she's kidnapped by one of the goons in the movie and it's like oh well now we have a call to action what are we doing where are we going with this master story right why, so it what, you, so it, why it why
0: unites it? the two right yeah so it, it's suddenly the the whole master plot is now directly tied to the love story exactly it's a
1: way um, of bringing it together. And that's what often happens or doesn't happen in, in uh, dungeon mastering is people don't know how to connect those and make it so that it's still visceral and makes sense for the
0: players who want to keep doing it. Yes. And then there's another component in here that I've heard you talk about before, but I want to hear you talk about it here is the, the mystic, Mm -hmm. the the sort of Obi-Wan Kenobi kind of vibe in this movie. Cause they, they, they make it so comically explicit at the beginning, but I (laughs) want to hear you talk about that, but also how you think about that in, in a game.
1: For sure. So thankfully, in this movie, the mystic, who is his master, is actually played by an Asian American. So it's not like Remo Williams, where it's a white guy dressed up in very inappropriate makeup and costume. Or
0: or David Um, Carradine walking around. Exactly. <laughs> um, although I will say, this actor—he looks like he's about thirty to me—and he's playing like eighty or something. <laughs>
1: he is definitely thirty in this movie. Yes, he's—he just got. They put some gray in his hair, just like probably like powder, you yeah. know, through that in no, Barely any wrinkles. I mean, his, yeah,
0: his skin looks better than mine.
1: <laughs> so the mystic in this, and then in pretty much in any game, is there as a font of exposition for the hero, for the characters, and. It exists as a point of being able to move the story forward and give the player or hero notes that kind of guide them along their path, that when they're stuck on something where they don't know what it's supposed to do. And the mystic can actually become mystics. It doesn't have to just be one individual that shows up. It's a way of like your tongs of exposition essentially your your little thing where you had your tongs that would talk and drop little notes to people a little less on the nose but it's still the same sort of concept of you know they walk into a tavern and the guy who runs the tavern is like oh let me tell you about x and yeah. they're like oh wow, we're here to talk about x
0: yeah when you were talking about the mystic and how it helps them when they're stuck i was thinking of use the force Lou. yes it's like literally we've had this conversation you know the right answer Right. And now's the time to utilize this information. And I think this film does that very much so as well. Very much uh, so. Yeah. But what they do is they sort of use the same phrase, but the meaning starts to change really significantly. And that's mm-hmm. that genius scene at the end. And I don't know how much you want to go into this, but like, as I'm watching that, I'm like, this movie's brilliant. I finally get it. I think I even verbalized that to you, like even like to the point of pausing the movie and looking at you and being like, "Okay, I understand. I understand, Master.
1: So I don't want to give any spoilers away for people who haven't seen the movie. And I know exactly what Brian's referring to. But I will say this movie is about self-actualization and understanding the power you have within yourself. And I think that that's a lot of um, what characters need and grow with in one shots or even in campaigns. And you as the the game master should kind of help them along with. But I agree that actually is really one of the best parts of the movie.
0: Yeah, and arguably one of the best parts of uh, the construction of a D&D campaign or even a, a singular session is something in the character's backstory, something that drives them. Something maybe hidden on their character sheet in a relationship or something like that becomes the main steam or the uh, right. uh, prominent in the plot. And I know as a dungeon master, you spend a ton of time on this, looking through the details of the character and trying to weave those into the game for the players. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's it's important, I think, for them to be able to have those aha moments like you have at the end of the movie, because that's kind of what makes it fun from a storytelling perspective that, your character has grown. Your your group has grown, and the story is richer for it.
0: Okay, so when we're thinking about the the comparison of the structure of this film and the structure of a of a great one shot, there's this kind of uh, leveling up of combat that, mm-hmm. that, that that this film does in a really great way. So, can you kind of talk us through that part of it? Because I think that's a really excellent component here.
1: Now, when you say leveling up of combat, are you referring to more of the DSX machina near the end of the movie, or are you talking? Yeah, about well, leading to how that, they kind of ramp up combat through. Yeah,
0: that? yeah, yeah. So, so like, if I'm yes. in a if I'm in a one shot, I don't want insurmountable foes right at the beginning, right? Correct. Like, I don't want to be down to to drop unconscious or be down to two hit points. I want to kind of ease in the combat, so I want some like yes. level goons to. Yeah, fight.
1: for sure, and this is what's great about it. So. Starts off, first of all, the movie with a training montage, which I think took like hours for them to shoot because he actually chops down a real arrow in real life. You know, it's before CGI. So you're seeing what the characters can do to start with, or the character in this case, singular. But then from beyond that, then there's like just little, little fracases, right? At one point, there's some like two or three goons that are harassing vanity. So Time actress happens to be coming by and sees this going on. And he fights three very underpowered goons and dispatches them pretty quickly. And then as the movie goes on, it gets a little bit more complex. Now there's more goons. Now there's a gun. Now there's this. Now, And then by nearly the end of the movie, all of the two main villains are
0: hiring goons to fight against and it's almost a, a very comic sequence <laughs> yes
1: it's they, they have like an application process you know it's just
0: it's and then also there's another scene which i we talked about when we were watching it but it's the pizza shop harassment yes. which is such a great scene and i think really dials up the emotional investment
1: agreed and I, the thing i like about that scene is that you have the main villain, Shonoff, coming in with his lieutenants, and they are harassing Bruce Leroy's family and destroying his pizza shop. And it's a moment of nonviolence, which is very rare to find in D&D. And by that what I don't mean like that the villain isn't committing violence. I mean that the players aren't committing violence, that they are stuck in a moment where they have to use their wits or their patience or their understanding to move through something. Not always about rolling for initiative, but about... I'm in a situation that I may not be able to solve. What do I do with that?
0: And then when we do get to sort of the final combat scenes, we see, I guess, this trope that you see in a lot of action movies, which is the hero is allowed to or forced to resolve their story through one-on-one combat with the main villain. And, And when I'm watching a movie, it's always so implausible. You know, it's like, it's, it's this massive medieval battle and the, right. the king of England finds, <laughs> just happens yes. in combat to find the one guy that pissed him off. And then they are allowed to have singular combat. But I think in a DD game, that's very, very gratifying to allow that resolution. That's right. Or Eowyn and the witch king
1: somehow magically in the middle of that battle found each other.
0: And, and everyone yeah. just like all the orcs just sort of like crowd around. And they're like, Ooh. <laughs> But that's the whole premise
1: here and that we'll talk about with building it is that it is building up the difficulty level, right? You're adding the striations of goons or encounters and make them more challenging. And then you have one big epic one. And then you start peeling away those layers, going to make them smaller and smaller until it's just the party or the hero against the big bad evil guy.
0: Love it. Okay. So... Now let's switch gears and sort sort of like recreate if you if you will the using the plot points of this film. Walk me through a one shot in sort of D&D you know high fantasy all right language.
1: Let's let's start with uh, we're having to introduce the players to each other especially since it's a one shot. We're not going to have them sit here and handshake and do other stuff and have a drink at the bar. They're going to know each other and because a lot of the heroes in this movie are part of the same dojo or friends of the family or the family itself. We're going to say that the party is all members of the same clan or tribe or whatever other, you know, sort of nomadic unit you want to use. So we'll start with that. Okay. Then they're going to be immediately thrust into a raid on their small village where the arch villain is attacking them and the innocent inhabitants. So immediately they have to roll for initiative. They're thrown on their back foot by starting the game with fighting, which they're not expecting to do, and they're not super high level yet. They haven't figured out what's going on. They're just being attacked.
0: Yeah, I love that because they didn't choose it. They didn't pick the fight. The fight came to them, Uh, but also it gives them the moral high ground yes because i think there's that there's sort of like usually one or two players have that murder hobo gleam in their eye at the beginning <laughs> and so if you suddenly it's like no you you know it's obvious that you need to defend these innocent villagers it just kind of sets the boat right at the beginning right
1: exactly and the battle itself needs to be tough and it needs to have casualties not party casualties but casualties that they care about whether it's family members people within the community whatever it is that needs to happen and they're not going to win. It doesn't mean that you have to throw your rolls or anything else like that as a dungeon master. You just make a difficult villain. Just like in Curse of Strahd, Strahd constantly shows up before the players are ready to attack him and attacks the players and just leaves and goes, hey, thanks, and just goes away. Right? Same sort of concept here. So the villain's going to retreat, and they're going to be left with a smoldering wreckage of whatever's left of their village. Now they have a call to action.
0: Love that and also i think there's a certain level of complexity with the villain where there's something that that the players may need to learn about them or about yes. themselves or find in order to be confident that they can defeat them
1: correct and that's where the mystic comes in somehow the mystic is there in the village maybe it's the village elder maybe it's uh, somebody else who is literally just the mystic of the village maybe it's one of their family members, maybe it's a former hero. Doesn't maybe, matter. Maybe it's your it's, game.
0: Maybe it's Rafiki the monkey.
1: Exactly. It could be totally Rafiki. That'd be fine. In fact, that'd be amazing in a game, right? But that gives them the exposition they need, coupled with any sort of other evidence that this uh, raiding party leaves behind. Maybe there's medallions or something where they know that this connects them to the nearby town that they have been swearing not to go to because it is a den of villainy and they know it's dangerous but now they have the call to action they have the exposition and they have the evidence that it's time to set out and go confront whatever is going on in that town
0: i love it and so when we get to the town what is the sort of next level and how does that connect to the last dragon
1: yeah, so when they get to the town, it's intriguing. This is where you can throw a lot of little stuff in there, whether it's you know visiting shops or just getting general flavoring to make the one shot a little bit more exciting. But they do eventually run into the mayor of the town. The mayor of the town also runs the town's largest tavern. This mayor also happens to be the minor villain of the story which also exists in the last dragon you have to have the minor villain as a bit of a distraction or somebody who's there to at least run defense for the arch villain that way you can set all the pieces in motion to have that sort of epic battle later
0: so i love it Yeah, and one dynamic that I've noticed in games, especially with younger players, is a lot of times they want to sort of like rage against the machine a little bit. And they'll have these sort of latent, like the the machine is rigged, the government is, you know (laughs) what I mean? And so you can kind of like let them go there a little bit and play in that world where it's like, okay... They're they're unsatisfied with the political system or something in their lives. And then suddenly it's like, OK, well, at least they get to like pick on or overthrow the mayor of this little town. And that that just becomes really gratifying to them, especially if that person is evil.
1: For sure. Yeah. I mean, and that's also a big part of movies like The Last Dragon is this idea of sort of, a, I guess, a chafing against authority. This one isn't quite as strong, again, as I said, of other black exploitation movies, but it's the idea of you're venerating yourself, you're venerating your community, and that's what you're doing here in this game. So you're going in and you're finding this tavern, this massive tavern, and it's this crazy place that's filled with pit fighting and gambling and substance abuse and other weird debauchery. And and so then while they're there, they meet the main star of the show in the tavern, the NPC that's going to help them, the performer, just like Vanity, that will help them also in their quest. They can also kind of key in their role as the mystic as well because the mystic doesn't have to live in one body again it moves around and so if they need their next piece of exposition or help or understanding of how to investigate it now exists in this new sort of damsel or i can't even remember how to say the the male version of damsel in distress but i don't know if you want to try Uh, that with your french accent uh,
0: dude who gets kidnapped
1: there we go that'll work that sounds just like the french i remember but that's the idea so they they find out while they're there that the minor villain knows the arch villain and is in league with them. They're working together. So now they are trying to figure out what to do. I
0: love it. So my question here is, and maybe it's a little too early, but this is where the Deus Ex Machina? Deus Ex Machina. They Co- will come it's up it's coming,
1: right? It's coming. Okay. It's cresting the horizon. Okay. So they're not sure what to do. They know that right now, they're in a point of, again, still being a little too weak to do anything to stop the villain. They can certainly try you know, the old DM adage, but for the most part, they still need to find out more about what's going on. So they investigate the town more. They see if there's other weapons they can find, other help they can find. And as they go through the town more and more, they find out that a lot of the people of the town do not appreciate the, the people who are currently running the show. And so... As they show themselves as willing participants in fighting against the villains, the townspeople say, we'll be there. They start saying, oh, I'm the blacksmith. I'll bring my cold iron with me and we'll make this happen. It's like, if you go and assault that tavern, I will be there at the front door knocking it down with a hammer, right? That's the idea.
0: Yeah. And this, this is always the most gratifying part of watching movies. And a lot of times it doesn't pay off for me, but I often get this idea that if all of the characters that you're seeing, if they just banded together, they could do it. Mm -hmm. And sometimes the movies will pull through, but it's kind of like the ultimate version of the scene is the end of Avengers Endgame. Right. When exactly. they all like, finally, they all show up. And then clearly there's, I don't know, like a 100 Avengers, like, of course, they're going to defeat him. But at the beginning, <laughs> just one at a time, they were just not they were none of them were powerful enough to actually do it. Exactly. So
1: throughout this process, beyond just getting allies, they're also finding out information about a certain item or spell, or word, or weakness mm-hmm. of the main villain that's going to help them win. That in itself is the DSX Machina. Now, you can decide what you want that to be to make the st- story flavored that way. In the movie, it is this ability called the glow, where they reach a certain level of masterhood or mastery of their martial arts, is that they're able to essentially catch bullets with their teeth
0: and fight quickly and beat the crap out of each other.
1: That's the idea. Yeah. And this is what the glow is.
0: This is such a disorienting moment in the film because they're shooting on the streets of New York and it looked it just looks very gritty, you know, in terms of the setting. And then suddenly you have this like weird rotoscope effect where the characters are like glowing and you're like, I wasn't I wasn't ready for this and I didn't know this was th- that this was that kind of a movie. Oh yeah. And then when you combine it with the
1: the crazy soundtrack, which is amazing, by the way, and it just like builds up, it almost sounds like the beginning of Top Gun with a clanging of the bell, and then like they're getting into this really aggressive <laughs> battle. And you're like, where is this going? And then all of a sudden they start blowing, you're like, whoa, what? What the heck? So same sort of thing in the story. You figure out what that thing is and how it ties into why the villain would want to raid their village. Maybe there's something within the village. Maybe there's a knowledge they possess or an artifact that was stolen. But this idea that they have to get that back and then utilize it themselves in order to overcome that final hurdle. right? So then once we have those pieces in place, we're now at the final act the heroine or the or i wouldn't say damsel in distress because they're they're pretty capable they get captured you know you have to go back to the tavern so you go back to the tavern you load up with all the, the town there with you and now begins this epic battle because they've also been getting all their henchmen ready They have a battle waiting right when you go inside the door. It's pit fighters. It's crazy stuff going on in there. And you as a dungeon master don't have to roll every single thing that's going on. You just have to describe it. You have to have the occasional lethal thing that might come in there that distracts the party. They have to fight individual goons or or villains as they show up. But it has to feel progressive and epic where they're seeing the town fighting against everyone, but they're not actually having to hear all of the roles. All that matters is their roles. They're the stars in the story. That's all that matters.
0: One technique that I've heard here for Dungeon Masters is to just roll for like how that fight in the castle is going. You know, what yeah. I mean? like are the are the are we winning or losing over there instead of each little fight? I have where I have played with Dungeon Masters who will actually try to roll for every little sword fight going on over there. And it, it can be really, really tedious.
1: It is. It is super tedious. And if you want to bring some of that in there, that's fine. But make it easier on yourself. So, for example, use horde rules. And those aren't easy to find in d d But essentially what it means is if you have a bunch of villains, make all their hit points one. Right. So if, you know, it feels like you're amazing, you're just this amazing fighter where you're going in and some random villain comes up, he like stabbed him and he's immediately dead. Right. Same sort of thing you'd see in a movie where somehow somebody can kick somebody in the face and they just pass out on the ground. Like that's not how that works, but you know, but that's how it works in D D. So you yeah. just have random villains come over and clashing with them. Or if you just want to set the scene, just like in the movie. So it shows up. Bruce Lee Ray does fight a little bit briefly against the main villains have been hired with their resumes to fight against everybody else. But the brief stars of that scene are essentially the town or in the case of the movie, the members of the dojo and the friends and stuff. So it shows them briefly fighting all the henches and everything else and them pretty easily moving through them. And that's how the story should feel. It's like, it's exciting as you're running downstairs to the basement to go take on the the arch villain, you're seeing all this unfold behind you, uh, but you don't need to necessarily be a part of it.
0: Yeah, and I think this is where the big sort of like emotional payoff can happen for the players as well, right? Like they've been denied the ability to uh, vanquish the foes this easily. And now via this setup with these newfound powers and these newfound allies, now suddenly they have that ability. And also as a DM, I'm always conscious of how much time is left. Like what time Mm -hmm. is it? What time did we say we were going towards? This is one of those really fun powers you have as a dungeon master, which is you can expand or contract the story, expand or contract time to try to time this out so that it feels like it happens at exactly the right moment.
1: Exactly. And
0: uh, that's one of the great things about one shots,
1: but also one of the things that makes one shots fairly difficult is that. A big part of it is time management, and you have to know what to cut, and you have to know what to add, and you have to look at pacing the entire time. So you have these moments like this where there's this tavern fight. If the players are kind of moving through pretty quickly, well, now the tavern fight's going to take a minute. Now they're actually going to get into it. If the players are taking a long time, well, they are going to breeze through, and they're going to get a description about how the townspeople are just destroying everybody in there, and they're running downstairs. You have those moments available where you, as a dungeon master, set that pacing. You are the director cutting those clips in the editing room and saying, okay, well, we're getting rid of that
0: for time, because it's just not going to work. Not integral to the story. Let's keep it moving right or there's uh there's this little owl bear mini that I that I often keep behind the dungeon master screen and I kind uh-huh. of eye it like if things are going too easy I'll be <laughs> like okay well maybe there's an owl bear in the next room that they go into <laughs> nice and, I, and it's going to be chaos <laughs> <laughs> that's perfect
1: So from there, eventually they do make it down into whatever sort of dungeon or basement or whatever have you. Something dark and exciting, just like in the movie, it takes place in an abandoned warehouse that's kind of weird and empty and gross. Same sort of thing here. You're just going down there. You don't need to go room to room. You're just finding this final battle. The minor villain, the mayor has already been dispatched. I, I, I think it's even better if he just runs away as a coward. It's just like in the movie too. He's He's kind of fretting for his life. It doesn't have to be everybody gets murdered all the time in D&D, you know, maybe to live again another day in a one shot to somehow play. That's what I was
0: thinking. If you let a particularly dastardly character go, your players are probably gonna be like, can we can we just come back next week? Because I really want to (laughs) kill that guy.
1: Exactly. And then they have their final showdown with the villain, and it's literally just the villain. There's something so inherently strong about the villain that you don't need other goons there. This person is quite difficult. They probably have layer actions like you would have with most of the big bad evil guys. And you decide what those are, so that it makes sense with the sort of storytelling. And if you want to make this an entirely martial arts based story, that'd be cool too. You could easily do that, very, very well. I mean, I mean, you can imagine just using some overpowered monk as the villain who's running up the walls and catching projectiles and throwing them back at people and shooting fire. I mean, just insane stuff. I mean, imagine you know a high level monk fighting against a mid level party. It's going to be a challenge for them, but then it's also going
0: to be awesome.
1: Yes. <laughs> but now they have their DSX machina, they can unleash it and it's going to give them the advantage in the fight. And they're going to come through just barely in the end because you've made the, the battle that difficult that it doesn't feel like, oh, I got one easy roll at the beginning and now the villain's dead. But instead we're clinging for life. One guy's over here almost passed out. And, but we finally came through We finally succeeded in one.
0: Yeah, and this is a something that I feel really passionately about. I'm interested to hear if you if you vibe with this, Aaron. But I think that character deaths in one shots are awesome and often more memorable because, yes. like, if I'm a, if I'm a one shot and I made Jeff the Barbarian, and then I'm just trying to keep Jeff alive for three hours, and then at the end he's alive, and then right. I go home, and I'm like, well, okay, cool. But also, it was a one shot, and I may never play him again. I once played in a one shot and I made this little halfling character and I loved him and the, the wizard animated a bed and it was flying around murdering people and the bed lit on fire and he jumped on it. And so he died. My character died in midair on top of a flaming bed. And I was talking about it for a week. I was so excited because it was so memorable. So uh, do you, do you vibe with that though, Aaron? Like, does that. Oh
1: no, 100%. And you know, at one-shot weekend last weekend, I, I kind of gave that moment where somebody could sacrifice to stop the the device at the very end, and nobody was willing to do it. They're like, okay, what if I cast something else in there so that something else can sacrifice, you know? And, and I think that sacrifice gives meaning to the story, yes. especially for a one-shot. I mean, obviously with the campaign, it's hard. These are characters you've had for dozens to hundreds of hours. It's hard to see them go. But if you're playing a one shot, ham it up, like make it fun, make it exciting. Go in there and say, I'm taking one for the team. And I'm, I mean, who are you going to remember the most? Like the the paladin who went in there, just smash, smash, smash until dead. Or the person who went in there and said, you know what, I'm going to lower myself into the lava in order to stop this machine from, you know, going off and destroying everything. You're going to remember that person. That's the person who went in there and did the exciting thing.
0: Yeah. And these are the these are the scenes in action movies that absolutely are devastating. When when the hero, or sometimes even the not hero, the anti-hero actually would sacrifice themselves for the betterment of the party or the universe or the kingdom or whatever. Right. Yeah.
1: And so the one shot ends, they're able to rebuild what is left of their village. Maybe you would move on. Maybe they're nomads. But the idea is that they have come to a pretty epic conclusion after going through all the story beads that you would find inside a movie like this.
0: Yeah. So I started with not wanting to see this movie, watching this movie and hating it, and then really, truly understanding what you're talking about at the end of the movie. And now I will watch it again. And what I'm what i what I'm going to be watching for is decoding the movie according to these plot points that you've discussed. What's a low-level bad guy encounter? How do the bad guys threaten the things that the heroes care about or the heroes themselves? I like the complexity of they, they threaten the things that the heroes care about, though. Right. You know what I mean? Because then it adds a whole other dimension to things. The pizza shop scene, exactly. which I do think is very pivotal. And then yeah, there's that that payoff of there's something hidden in the world or in the characters that can be revealed at the end of the story that is just so immensely gratifying. Yeah.
1: And if you think about the beginning of the movie, the main character, Bruce Leroy, he has he has no real antagonists. He has no call to action. He's only harassed because show enough. Um, Is concerned that he thinks he's more of a master than he is, right? And so he starts picking on him, picking on his family, and then we have the vanity angle. He has he has literally no call to action. Just like I'm a guy doing a boring thing in a dojo. I mean, not boring, but I mean he's you know a black belt, and he just wants to get the next level of black belt and move on with the day. But then it gets more and more complex.
0: I love it. So I'm sold. I definitely agree with you. This is an excellent template. And it is very interesting to me that the genres are so different. The sort of comedic martial arts movie and usually a high fantasy D&D setting. But it, to me, underscores the point that when we're talking about narrative storytelling, there are key building blocks and pacing that will amount to a really satisfying story.
1: I agree. And if you haven't seen The Last Dragon, go see it. If you have seen it, watch it again. And I highly recommend that you look at it, even, even as a player, just find these these story beats. If you want to find uh, motivations for a player character, or maybe you want to dip your toe in the DM water for the first time, this is a good way of understanding what makes a
0: story work. Amazing. Thank you for walking us through this, Aaron. And thank you for introducing me to this film. It is a wonderful mess. Oh, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And thanks, everyone, for listening this week. We really appreciate you. Please check us out on our Instagram or at our website, infernalschoolhouse.com. And please don't forget, we sell stuff on Etsy, too. Thanks, everyone. Thank you.